Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Can we once again celebrate the gift of Pastor Nonso, who preached last week? Amen. That was such a good word. Amen. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, if he be you, nobody's talking. <laughs> All right? We're, we're a church of pastors, teachers, prophets. We teach in this house. So if you're not ready to teach, <laughs> maybe you can as well, you know, wave us bye-bye. Because if you're here, you will be a teacher. You'll be discipled. And if a disciple is well discipled, he should be able to teach. Hallelujah. I'm ready for God's word this morning. Praise God. I trust the Lord to expand these things in our hearts as we examine his word. In Jesus' name. Hebrews chapter 6. We've been examining the concept of wisdom for the past 14 Sundays, even though there was a love series in the middle somewhere. So we've been talking extensively about wisdom. And for the last about five weeks, this is the sixth week from that moment, we began to really explore the concept of faith and love and how it connects to our capacity to receive wisdom and revelation. And then, of course, Ephesians 1 being that anchor, how Paul was saying that until I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints, I did not even start to pray for you. So when I heard of those things, I began to pray for you that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And then it begins to explain what this wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God meant. And it began by saying, all right, that you will come to know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. And two weeks ago, we established how that our calling is not ours. It's not your purpose. It's not our calling. It is his calling for our lives. It is his purpose for our lives. And how that we must find him first. Because he's the one that does the calling. So if you do not find him and you're trying to find your own purpose, whatever you found in that process of finding your purpose would not be his purpose for your life because you found it without him. So you've got to find him. And the more you find him and the more you investigate into him and you discover him, the more you realize that a lot of things in him are about you. And then he will begin to release dimensions about your life to you and he will begin to define the boundaries of your expression. And we established that last, that's two weeks ago now. And so we're still talking about the hope of the calling of God for our lives. As we continue to examine the scripture about that particular line of thought. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 13. Bible says, are we there already? Amen. The Bible says that for when God made promise... All right, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no greater, Bible says he swear by himself. What an introductory thought. God looked for something greater than himself to swear by. 
He couldn't find anything that was greater than himself just so that he could consolidate what he was saying to Abraham so that Abraham can evoke a greater entity beyond the one who was giving him a promise. Just like you tell someone that if you tell me you will do something, swear by something, okay? Swear by something that will keep you accountable even when your will refuses to do what you have said you want to do. So that which is greater can then cause you to be accountable and to perform whatever you have promised so you people don't swear by themselves. All right, because they are mutable. So they swear by an immutable greater. Do you see? So what God was going to do was to give Abraham a more sure foundation upon which he can plant his promise. So that he can be certain, all right, of the veracity of the promise of God coming to pass. So Bible says when God made a promise to Abraham, he was incentivized to swear. Ha, yeah. So, and of course, this is the first time, all right, Genesis 22, he had not sworn before then. But because of what Abraham did to just trigger this dimension, Bible says God was looking for something to consolidate the promises he had been giving all along. And Bible says that he was... Going to swear by no greater, so he swore by himself because there's no one greater than God. Do you see? So he swore by himself, saying, all right, so this is how God swears. He speaks. <laughs> Praise God. You see, he didn't say, by the God that stays in heaven above. That's not how God swears. He swears by speaking. Every word is a swearing. <laughs> Every word God gives to you, he swore. Amen. <laughs> but, that, but that's how God swears. He didn't swear by saying, ah, wallahi talai. That's not how God swears. He doesn't swear by saying, in the name of the God that is in the heaven. No. How he swears is by saying. Bible says he swore by himself. Saying. So every word you are receiving and that you're reading, that you're holding in your heart was delivered by an oath, by a swearing. God would have to self-destruct for that word not to be capable of delivering what it promises. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is why you can literally take God's word to the bank. It was produced by a swearing. <laughs> this blesses my heart so much. That this is how God swears. By saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured. Because that swearing, eh, what it does to your heart is that it gives it conviction. That time is too small to make me waver. This thing will certainly come to pass. It is the conviction you get from the fact that God swore before he delivered this promise to me. That makes you wait. 35 years doesn't matter. 60 years doesn't matter. Whatever God has said he will do, he will do it. It's a foregone issue. He swears by no greater than himself. And what he says and how he swears is by saying. And this is why Jesus said, let your yea be yea. And let your nay be nay. Your yes should be a swearing. It should be sufficient that you swore by just saying, yes, I will do it. Because that's how God swears. He just speaks. He says, and he has sworn. Because every word he says, his integrity is wired into it. He put his integrity in the line for every word he delivers to you. 
And what it means to swear is that your very essence as that entity that was sworn by is very much at risk of being lost if the thing you said on that oath does not come to pass. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, Abraham speaking, all right, Abraham referenced now, Bible says he obtained the promise. Hallelujah. He obtained the promise. So men verily swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. You're arguing with someone, both of you are at loggerheads, one of you promises to do something to the other person, the person does not believe your integrity because you probably don't have that track record of keeping to your word, and so he needs an assurance, he needs something that will let this whole strife come to an end. Just swear to me, give me an oath, give me an assurance that's greater than just your person. Alright, and so they swear. So an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wearing God, willing. So he had to come to Abraham's level and organize that conversation based on the civil protocol on earth, which is how people got confirmations for whatever somebody else promised to them. And so the Bible says he was very willing, more abundantly, to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel. Confirmed it by an oath. So that by two immutable things, it, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope, Bible says, we have as an anchor of the soul that is both sure and steadfast. And Bible says it is a moving anchor. This hope is not a stationary anchor. Every other anchor stays in the harbor and is connected to the ship. But this hope, there is something about this hope. It's a moving anchor. Bible says it entereth into that which is within the veil, which is the very presence of God. Without this, we are in the foreigner. Jesus Christ is for us entered. Even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. Bible says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Hallelujah. Powerful. Amen. So when it comes to all that God has in store for you, when it comes to his promises for your life, what he does is that he gives you a word. Now, that word, you are supposed to latch onto it. When you latch onto it and you receive that word, what that word will do for you is to produce hope in your heart. If that word does not produce hope in your heart, you will not be anchored to that which he has spoken. So he ensures that that word does not just, it doesn't just get heard. It gets anchored. And you see, when it gets anchored, it produces a hope. Hope is picture in short. That is what hope is. Picture. That is what hope is. Hope is a picture. Hope is an imagination. Hope is a definition of an outcome that is not already present. It is an idea of what will be. It is a picture. It's an expected end. It's not just an end. It's an expected end. If it is not expected, it will not end. 
All right, so it must be expected. So it is a picture that you get in advance. It is not something you just arrive at and you are seeing it. You must have captured a certain essence of that picture before you arrive there. So he says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you only to an end you expected. If you did not expect it, I can't bring you into it. So he has to plant that picture in your heart. Then that hope is now birthed in your heart. And then it creates a picture that your soul can latch onto. That hope now is resident within the presence of God. Then it begins to drag you into itself. Amen. Glory to God. It drags you into itself to performance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is why we meditate. To turn the promises to hope. Mm. This is why I meditate. When you meditate, you are converting the promise of God at the raw, latent state. You are converting it to a hope you can anchor on. This is the reason why meditation is what produces faith in our hearts. Remember, without hope, there can be faith. Because, hope or, because faith is the substance of things already hoped for. That is, if hope is not established, faith cannot be released. And remember Romans 15, 4, the Bible says all things that were written aforetime, that is the Holy Scripture, were written for our learning so that we, through the comfort of Scripture, might have what? Hope. What this hope does is that it helps your heart to have an anchor. It helps your heart to have an anchor. Glory to Jesus. So it says this hope is an anchor of the soul that is both sure and steadfast. You can't break it. Nothing in this world can break the circuit of hope except the one who is anchored. You can break the circuit of hope and we'll get there eventually. You can break the circuit of hope. But you see, that hope is sure and steadfast. And it enters into that which, that, is, that is within the veil. And it drags you into that performance itself. Because that hope is generated from the realm of the spirit. It is not something you create by ambition. No. You catch it based on the word of God that was released into your life. Amen. Amen. Every single patriarch had to be planted inside this hope. Every one of them. So what God will do is after releasing a promise over your life, he will give you something that anchors that promise to your soul. And so you would realize that God will bring pictures and illustrative elements, especially within your environment, to anchor the very coordinates of that promise to that very picture, such that even when you are going through trials and temptations and tribulations and very contradictory experiences, that hope is still sure and steadfast. You may not know how God is going to navigate it, but that thing still seems, seems very certain and the image is still clear. It's not blurry. And that is that hope that will continue to drag you across all your seasons. Until you arrive at that destination that the picture predicted. So he will tell you, you are still childless. But look at the stars. Look at the stars. Can you count them? You can't. That is the number of nations that you have. Not number of children. Nations. <laughs> Each star is not a child. Each star was a nation. So imagine the boundaries of limitation that that image you would have broken in the heart of Abraham. You are looking for one child and God is saying 
the number of stars you are seeing is not the number of children you will have. It's the number of nations. And each nation has millions of children resident within it. He says, if you cannot count it, that is how you won't be able to count the number of nations that I will bequeath unto you. He says, look at the sand of the seashore. Can you count them? Even the one you scoop into your hands, you can't count it. Talk more of the vastness of the boundless, you know, expanse of the sand at the seashore. To the extent that you cannot count it, it is to that extent that I will bless you with nations. And then he anchored his promise to that picture. Such that even when he's about to doubt, that picture reminds him that... Mm -mm, Indeed, I have made you a father of many nations. And you see, God does not progress through time like we do. We are the ones that arrive into the future and we're like, wow, amazing. God already sees the dimensions of our lives as a timeline. He sees everything as a landscape. And so he never has to update his records. So when he's speaking, he's speaking from a perfected realm. He is not lying. If you downplay and discount the words of God into time and into the 3D dimension, it will seem like God is lying. But when you elevate your scope to the very stature of where God is speaking from, you realize that he's speaking from a perfected state. That's why he can be calling an Abraham who doesn't have a child yet. And he's saying that he, I have made you already a father of many nations. But you don't believe me yet. So you know what? I'll plant a picture in your heart. That picture will navigate you through your seasons. So for Joseph, he planted a picture of authority, dominion, and influence. He planted it in his heart. He will use illustrative elements, the planetary bodies, sheaves. But what he was doing was he was anchoring that promise to a picture. For David, for example, the biggest deal happened in his life when he was just a 17-year-old boy. Samuel coming to your house was a big deal. Samuel does not visit all the towns in Israel. He visits only four. And he visits them just once in a year. And he goes to make offerings and sacrifices. For the first time, Samuel didn't just go into a new town. He entered a man's house. Commanded that all of them stood still until David showed up. And then he poured oil on his head. That was the something that God used to plant an image in the heart of David. Such that it does not matter 20 something years later. I will still be king. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I'm already king. Samuel poured oil. I mean poured oil on my head. It was not Ribina. It was oil. And that was how God anointed the kings of Israel at the time. God used that imagery to plant a picture in his heart. This is what God always does. He will plant a picture and he will connect your soul to it. Now, that picture is not supposed to confound understanding. No. It's not supposed to confound understanding. It's just a picture. What it confounds is conviction, not understanding. Such that they're asking you, how shall these things be? You don't know. You can't explain it. How will David transform from the 17-year-old boy to the king of Israel? He does not, I cannot explain it. How does Joseph, from being the hated one in his father's house, to becoming the prime minister of Egypt, he can never explain it. How does Abraham become the father of many nations, while still barren at 75? You see, these pictures are not supposed to confer understanding. They're supposed to plant your heart in conviction. That it does not matter how long this takes, and I may not know exactly how God will navigate my path. But I know, this thing I've seen in my heart will come to pass. That was why Joseph cried. It was not emotional tears. It was not tears of, oh, what I, it was not, it was not patronizing. 
He cried because that which he saw, he saw it happen real time. He saw it. Like, wow, you performed your counsel. You did exactly what you said you will do. What I saw 13 years ago is happening right in front of my eyes. How? He couldn't have made it happen. He saw the performance and he's like, boy, this God is amazing. How do you do things like this? This God can be trusted. Minister Ibubi says that all the time, right? <laughs> he can be trusted. Just give him time and you trust. He will plant a picture on your heart, anchor it to your soul. And then anywhere that picture goes, you are going with it. And the Bible says that thing is resident within the very presence of God. It's called within the veil. Such pictures are not generated by your ambitions. This is why until Joseph eliminated the selfish interpretation he had, he couldn't enter into that picture. He, inside the picture initially, he was seeing himself as the one that is the center of the universe. But until he began to get rid of that selfish tendency, he did not enter into the full manifestation of that picture. Because anything you see, a dream that you have in your heart, that you are the biggest player, the only player, the one everybody's bowing to, it is not God's interpretation you are getting out of that dream. Any dream God gives you, people will be at the center of it. Your life would always be a seed inside that picture. Not the center of the universe, no. The vision God will give you will not be a vision of all men bowing to at your feet, no. If Jesus had a vision and what he saw was the travail of his soul, uh, uh, you better understand that when you see that picture in your heart, don't interpret it as, oh, the entire galaxy is designed to serve my needs. And until you become a son, you will, not perf- you will not enter into the performance. You won't enter. Because that picture is not supposed to make you so obsessed with yourself. That is why there's a difference between ambition and vision. Ambition does not enter into that, is, that the one that is within the veil. It does not emanate from the presence of God. It emanates from your own selfish ambitions. Most likely from social media. You saw somebody doing something, you wanted to be like it, you wanted to do something like that, you liked the idea of being, you know, a celebrity, you know, a social media influencer. You wanted to be like someone and then you created a dream for yourself. It didn't come from the presence of God. And you can even perform that one in two minutes. You can perform it in two months. Just get the right connections, call somebody, start doing what other people are doing and you will become it. You become it. There are people that tell themselves that in three months, in six months, I'll become this and they'll become it. But of course, that path is void of ethics and moral virtue. It's void of all of those things. They compromise along the way, do everything that they need to do to, you know, to ag- align with that dream. And then they'll come and show it as a testimony that, ah, I was once broke, but now it's what I've done. And they become motivational speakers. That's not how God's vision works. He will plant a picture that will not confound your understanding. You won't understand it. You won't understand it. Please, take it easy. Take it easy. You know, somebody said that to Jesus once. And you know what Jesus said to the person? He said, it's okay. That the person who listens to me and does the things that I'm saying, that's the person that I'm more impressed by. Okay? So just take it easy. Praise God. Amen. And so, there is a certain level of connection you must have to the hope that Christ has brokered to you in the place of prayer. Because, you see, and that's why that hope does not come from the corridors of your own heart. It must come from the very presence of God. So it is as you are knowing the Lord, he will plant that picture. You can't find that picture anywhere else. This purpose I'm talking about, you can't discover it in seminars. Even me, I can't tell you. 
You go and look for the one who called you. He will plant the picture. He does what he does. He plants the picture. The children of Israel were suffering in Egypt and then he planted a picture in their heart. He said, I will bring you into a land. I mean, why would you even use such so, so beautiful picture? I mean, you can't create such a picture just by thinking about it. Like God told them, I will bring you into a large land, into a good land, into a land that is flowing. Imagine a land that is flowing with milk and with honey. Just imagine it. That's, that has got to be one of the most beautiful pictures that the children of Israel would have experienced in the last 400 years of captivity. I mean, nobody told them anything like that. But Moses came and began to plant those pictures in their hearts. That I'm bringing you out. It doesn't matter how long you've stayed in this affliction. Don't let this affliction change your picture. Don't let it. Don't let it. Because the objective of repeated cycles of affliction is to replace the hope in your heart. And create a repeated cycle of patterns of affliction so that... As you are living an affliction, you are entering another cycle of, of affliction. And so the devil using repetitive occurrences in your life. He wants to change the hope in your heart. So that the picture of the future will look like the past. But God wants you to enter into a picture or into a future that looks nothing like where you're, where you're coming from. That hope has to be more alive than your experiences right now. If you enter into a neighborhood where things are very bad, you know, Islam and all that, and you get 50 boys to talk, to, just ask them questions. You will know the one that will not stay long in there. You will know. You will just know. Because the picture of what he will be saying will not look anything like the environment he's in. Somehow he, was, he has been able to plant a hope in his heart that transcends the beggarly element of his environment. So others will be like, ah, these things are bad here. Things are very bad. See, for the last some something years, we've not had anybody, no water, nothing. We're just scrambling, you know, there's nothing to do. You know, everything's just bad, everything's just bad. You know, everything's just bad. Remember that video, you know? Pressure T Y, you know, everything's just bad. Everything everything has gone. And then and you 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 ask a guy, the same condition everybody is subject to. The same condition. And you ask him that, so tell me about yourself. What do you see yourself? And he's like, ah, brother. I know saying no be here, I go die. I know. And he begins to talk about what he sees. That nobody showed him, but it is in his heart. It is in his heart. And that picture is sure. And you come three years later and he's still there, but that picture has not become blurry. He's still certain. That guy will not die there. He can't stay there forever. He will be anchored by that picture into the very performance of that which he had in his heart. So you need to understand that you must transcend the realities of your environment. And what does God do even with our realities on earth? We are pilgrims. What does he do? He plants heaven in our hearts. As he's leaving the earth, he says, listen, this is not all there is to experiences. There is an experience that is yonder. It's called heaven. And he planted it in their hearts. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And I don't lie. If it was not so, I wouldn't have told you. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. Keep that picture in your heart and you can defy any affliction. Even in martyrdom, you'll be smiling and forgiving people because you have seen a certain picture that transcends whatever it is you're going through right now. That is how God expects you to navigate through life. Without hope, you will die already. You would already be dead. And that is how kingpins and drug lords, that is how they keep their people in bondage, actually. They Aye. they will look for a scapegoat and plant a picture of death in your life, in your heart. So they'll look for someone that violated them and they'll call a meeting of all their servants and they'll watch as this guy bleeds to death. They'll remove his fingers, remove his toenails, remove everything and then kill him in the most brutal way. And that picture will never leave your heart. The next time you try to steal their cocaine, you just know that hope restrains you. 
You just, uh, is this what my end will be? This is how the devil works. That's how his kingdom works. They will plant a hope of a very devastating end. Such that if you violate their protocols, this is how you would also end. And by that, they keep everybody organized. Just keep, you don't have to be following up and down. They planted a hope that restrain you. You will do their bidding. And anyone that messes up, there is somebody that feels like he will enter into the good books of the kingpin by reporting. So there is always an incentive to tell you, to, 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 to tell out or to you know, sell you out and tell on you and tell about this to the kingpin so that you become the next victim. So th that system just organizes their entire operations. They are not omnipresent. So how do they find a way to keep an operation running for 25 years? This is how it works. They will plant a hope of a devastating end using a scapegoat and then they plant it across board. They plant it across board. It's a powerful strategy. So whenever you come into the presence of God, God wants to give you a word that will create a picture. Until you see the crispness of that picture, don't leave the place of prayer. <laughs> ah, glory to Jesus. So for Abraham, he did the same thing. For Joseph, he did the same thing. For David, for the children of Israel. But the cyclical experiences that the children of Israel had so much been subjected to for over 400 years had created a stronghold, a barrier that hope could not penetrate. Only Joshua and Caleb had that very hope set in their heart. Such that, you see, what that hope is supposed to create a picture that you are so excited to enter into it. So when they said, go and, go and spy the land... The objective of that spying or that spying exercise was not just to do feasibility studies. It was to get them excited because what God said was that it was going to be a good land, a large land, and one flowing with milk and honey. It won't be empty. What were you thinking? There will be people there preserving the integrity of God's word. If it is empty, it won't be flowing. If it is empty, it won't be good. If it is empty, it will be a ravenous beast. I mean, beasts will be there. It won't be giants that will be there. It will be beasts. So because of the largeness and the goodness of that land, God needed giants to manage it. The size of the giant was a compliment to the children of Israel, but they saw it as a disadvantage. That I, where I will be living is giants that walk there. Giants are my protocols. Giants are my ushers. Giants are the ones that serve in the supermarket. Giants are the ones that, you know, they are the ones that carry stuff. Because one grip, you can't carry it, one, one man cannot carry that grip. Two men will have to carry it across a stick. And one grip, one. You that you pack 50 inside basket and you carry it. One grip in Israel. Two men have to carry it shoulder to shoulder. One grip. That was how massive the fruit of that land was. Massive. So God didn't need minions and, you know, dwarfs to be, he needed giants to manage the integrity of that land. It was a good land, it was a massive land, it was a large land, one flowing with milk and honey. He needed people to service that promise. So what God sent them there to go and check out was to get excited. Yet they saw it as a threat and all of them started speaking things that are not consistent with the promise. So the Ten Spies Network came back and they started blasting their own news. And everybody started crying. Because what the thing they said produced was the negative of hope, despair. As they started saying those things and saying those things, people did not see the possibility of the performance of the promise again. They started seeing that we'll be eaten up. We're like grasshoppers before them. In fact, they would not even notice they would have killed us. Because that's how you kill grasshoppers. Sometimes you don't even notice you killed one. So you even need to be intentional about killing a grasshopper. Sometimes you just kill it by accident. That is how small and insignificant we are towards them. Because what those things does to your mind is that they create pictures of impossibility. So you begin to meditate on those evil reports. 
begin to meditate on those evil reports. And sometimes Google does not help as well. You go, you go to, you go to a doctor and they tell you one thing, and then you begin to Google it and Google it, and you begin to expand the boundaries of the negative event. So much so that what whatever faith now has to introduce, we have to we have a lot of work to do to remove the weeds of doubt and unbelief that has been sown by your research in Google. And so, as those ten spies started to speak and started to speak. The children of Israel were drowning more and more in despair and fear and anxiety. And they cried so much they lost tear glands that day. Their tear glands got dried. There was no tear left to cry. They were weary, not from work, from crying. They exhausted themselves crying. But Joshua and Caleb were like, what all these things that you guys are doing? So, so wait, 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 wait. God brought us out of Egypt kill us in the wilderness? That's what you guys believe? 400 years, this word had been waiting to be performed. Then he does the most dramatic template, you know, exodus for us. And then you think it is getting us into the land that will be a big deal for him. You guys are jokers. You guys don't even know who God is. And he said, see, bring them. Bring, it doesn't matter. They are servants to us. We are, they are like bread to us. So you see the, the, the word, you know, the, the picture play there. They said we were like grasshoppers before them. So for you to be, listen, for, so the, the average children of Israel were like grasshoppers to the average giant. The average giant was like bread to Joshua and Caleb. Imagine how small the grasshopper looks now in perspective. So that which was a giant to a grasshopper is now a bread to you. Because you have exalted your, and elevated your thinking and your perspective to the extent of God's word. You just trump every limitation. You just trump it. You just, you, you, you trump it. Because you have exalted your imagination to the level of God's word. Nothing can be so exalted in negativity that it drowns your faith. Nothing. Imagine that some people were feeling like grasshoppers before the average giant. And the average giant was like bread. Before the average believer. And that is your own testimony. That is your testimony. That you're like Joshua. You're like Caleb. If God gives you a word. Listen. All hell would have to still freeze. For that word not to come to pass. It's too, it's too certain. Your heart just need to be anchored to it. That God will not do it is already. You may not enter it. But God will do it. That promise will come to pass. That prom- you need to just latch onto it. By faith. In hope. You latch onto it by faith because you have received a picture that you can anchor your soul to. Are you still with me this morning? Again, the difference between ambition and vision is that the ambition focuses only on you in the picture. Vision sees the impact of your soul life. Look at that. Your soul life. All right? The impact that your soul life can have on others. Joseph focused so much so much on himself in the first set of dreams, but the less he thought about himself, the closer he got to the palace. Jesus, on the other hand, saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. He didn't see his preservation. He saw his travail. What changes the countenance of a man from absolute despair to absolute courage? Remember, he entered Gethsemane with absolute despair. He was afraid. He was anxious. He didn't know what to expect. There was no hope set before him at that point. And so he entered, and all he was saying was despair, crucifixion, blood, all of those things. Now, listen, Gethsemane did not eliminate crucifixion. It only blurred it and emphasized redemption. 
Did you get that? So when he entered Gethsemane, all that was clear, just like in picture, you can focus what is in front or focus what is behind. You can focus whichever one you want to focus. You understand? You can blow out whichever one you want to blow out. So when he entered into Gethsemane, what he was doing was that he was praying. He was praying. All right? He was praying. And then the picture before him, before he entered into Gethsemane, was the clarity of his crucifixion. So it was so clear, the blood, the water, the crowns, the thorns, the, the alcohol, everything that was going to play out, the carrying of the cross, it was so devastating and it was so depressing. And it was the clearest image in the heart of Jesus. And there's no heart that can survive such despair. And so he entered into despair. And as he entered into the place of prayer, God now blurred out that crucifixion. And then he saw the outcome of his travail. He saw you smiling on the other side of the divide. He saw you redeemed. He saw you as a son. He saw you matured. He saw you growing. He saw many of himself in you and I. He saw Jesus's. And then he saw the travail of his soul. The Bible says he was satisfied. And he rose up from that place of prayer with courage, absolute courage. So much courage that he still had the composure to heal a man. He had the composure to plaster a man's ear back to his head. In the middle of crucifixion. Because God had planted the hope of the outcome of his ordeal into his heart. And that thing had become so strong that he could go through any trial to arrive at that place. You want to destroy people, remove their hope. Remove their hope. You want to destroy people, remove their hope. The Bible says without a vision, the people will perish. There is no hope that they will survive it. Just remove the vision, remove the hope, remove the picture. And there's nothing they're living for anymore. There's nothing to live for. So Bible says where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. There is nothing to live for anymore. And so that which they should have lived for has been taken away. And now they have to struggle. Because there's nothing anchored to their soul that continues to drag them along the lines of affliction into redemption and glory. So once you remove the vision, they will die in their wilderness. Because the picture of the promised land is no longer clear. It's not very blurry. And every conversation, they keep referencing Egypt. So because the image in their mind is not the image of the past. So their future looks like their past. So there's no way they will enter into the future that God has planted or intended to plant in their hearts. Because they are so invested. They are so invested. And that's what happens with all these negative patterns in homes. You have heard it so long in your father's house, in your mother's house. It has created a picture and a pattern that you cannot break through. It has created it. Even when you want to, it has, it, it's a blockade. It's a stronghold. Until you latch onto the word of God and the hope that it produces by meditation, you won't be able to break into that space. You won't be able to. You will just keep hitting a roadblock. As much as they wanted to, they couldn't. Because all the imagery in their head was onions, cucumbers, and all the things in Egypt. That was all they were seeing. That was all. God could not even help them. The Bible says they turned back and they limited God. Until your hope takes the shape of his word and his promise, you will be limiting him in your life. You have the power to limit God. That's how powerful you are. In your life, you have the power to limit God. God wants to do so much and then you, you discount him to so little. To the extent of the hope you do not have. To the extent of that hope that you do not have. But this is how the devil destroys lives. He creates negative cycles of patterns and then he uses that thing to plant the picture. Once he plants that picture with those negative cycles, repeated cycles, those things become the anchor to the destination of despair. 
So reverse Jeremiah 29, 11, and you see what the devil also does. He knows the thoughts he has towards you. Thoughts of evil and destruction to bring you to its expected end. So the moment he plants the thoughts of evil and destruction in your heart, repeats it through the examples and exposures that you have around you, enough, long enough, hard enough, intensely enough, it plants a picture. Because now that picture is there, it becomes an expected end. Even though you want something else, the picture you are seeing, that you are so convinced will happen, is the destruction that you have planted in your heart. Never let experiences win in your heart. Let the picture that God's word paints, let it win. Let the picture that God's word paints in your heart, let that word win. Let that word win. Not the reality of your experiences. Who cares if everybody in your house has never gotten married? Who cares? That is them. That is their business, quite literally. You can choose your own reality. But the devil wants to alter the picture of hope in your heart by presenting all their evidences before you so that you will copy and paste it into your heart as well. And say, this is my own future too. This is my own lot. There's nothing else I can do. And from this family, there's nothing more. And Bible says revelation is even far stronger than the blood. It's far stronger than blood. Bible says those that he belonged to as the Jewish community, he went to them, they did not receive him. He says, but they that believe, all right, they were the ones that became sons. As many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God. All right, he says those that were born not of the will of man, not of flesh, not of blood, but by the will of God, by revelation. You are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed of God's word that lives and abides forever. Your DNA actually has more of God's word than your father's blood. Yes. If you believe what I just said. Your D- you, you, you will become the outcome that the word of God predicts. Not the outcome that your father predicts. No. Did you hear what I just said? Your DNA, when we do the proper analysis of your DNA, it has the DNA of God's word. You were born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed of God's word that lives and abides forever. You don't have to repeat a single pattern in your father's house. You don't have to. Not one. You don't have to. You put the picture of what you want to repeat in front of you and plant it as a hope in your heart. You will just escape everything that your father's predicted. You, you, just, you just realize that you're escaping it. This one will happen to you, it will just not happen. Every other person will be experiencing it, but you can't. Because the picture in front of you is different. The picture is different. What you see is different. And that picture is what is anchoring your life and it's pushing you into that that is within the veil. This is how you eliminate curses and all these patterns and strongholds. You plant a picture. Because when God gave you that word, he swore. Can a swearing that God organizes and orchestrates and is the governor of that swearing, can it be stronger than anybody's swear? Anybody's curse? Amen. And this is why people leave Nigeria. Because they've lost hope. When they think of Nigeria, there's no picture. Be better tomorrow. It's not money that gives people, that keeps people alive. It's not prosperity. It's hope. You remove hope. You remove the reason to live. That is what depression is about. So the devil removes hope, replaces with despair. And that expected end is death, destruction. So they kill themselves. They enter, they enter into the expected end. Do you understand? God just, the devil just removes the hope of a better tomorrow. Thoughts of good and not, not of evil. Replaces it with thoughts of evil and destruction 
and then they think so hard on it that's their only ob- that's their only obsession that's their it so overwhelms them that that is all they they are going to end up in they don't really want it because that's why they're depressed in the first place they don't they're not excitedly dying but they will die because they're so depressed there is no image in front of them apart from despair and destruction so there is no better time to pump hope into the atmosphere than now Give a good word. People are going through stuff. Give a good word. It can just be a picture of hope. That a person will just have a rethink about that possibility of suicide. You have no idea what people are going through. So don't be the first person to judge, to cast them and plant a word. That even in the middle of all their terrible experiences, they have a word. This guy said something that was really powerful. Maybe this life is not worth taking after all. Maybe I should just give it one more shot. Maybe one more month and see what may happen. And in that month, their life transforms. They hear a word that transforms their life because somebody planted a word of hope. That's why we leave Nigeria. There's no hope. The future of the leader of tomorrow, we've been hearing it since last year or since, since the last three decades. So the leader of tomorrow, I've entered tomorrow. <laughs> we have been called the leaders of tomorrow since forever. But tomorrow has become yesterday, and we are still not leaders. The leaders of tomorrow, I've been hearing that they will become leaders of tomorrow since forever. Tomorrow that we're looking forward to becoming leaders has become yesterday. And we are still not leaders. We didn't even smell it. And then you say somebody should not lose hope. But that's the reality of the average Nigerian, and that's why a lot of youth are running away. There's no hope. When they think of themselves and their children, and their grandchildren, in this Nigeria, there's no picture. <laughs> and you just think of it. Ah! What kind of story will I be telling them on dining table? Eh, 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 eh. No, 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 no. There's nothing is coming. And that's the place of leadership. The number one role of a leader is to communicate a vision. Number two is communicate a vision. Number three is communicate a vision. That is all his job. Continue to communicate and paint a picture. As long as that picture is clear, people will follow you anywhere. Just continue to paint that picture. That's what Jesus continued to do. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. As I was leaving, he still said, follow me. There will come a time I'll bring you to my father's house. He kept painting pictures, dimensionalizing those pictures with communication, effective communication. That's the role of a leader. That's all a leader does. That's all, really. Just keep painting the picture. It must not get blurry. The moment it gets blurry, they will be sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that hope deferred is hope blurred, actually. Because when the hope is blurred, it becomes deferred. You can't arrive at the blurry hope. You can't arrive there. So it is when the picture is no longer clear, it becomes deferred. It just continues to take so much time because it's no longer clear. Praise God. Hallelujah. Again, this hope can only be found in God. You cannot develop this picture by yourself. This hope is an anchor, but you catch this hope after you search the Lord with all your heart. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, Father, we give you praise. Jeremiah is just after Jemima. <laughs> they flow now, baby. Jeremiah, Jemima. Jeremiah 29, 11, if you read from verse 11, of course, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Verse 12, then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This is where the picture is coming from. 
when you search with all of your heart, you will find the thoughts that I have towards you. You won't find it anywhere else. So these thoughts can only be lambanoed in the place of prayer. So that one leads us to the next. But before I go there, let's quickly go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, very quickly, very quickly. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Oh, thank you, Jesus. See, just be so stubborn in the realm of the spirit that nothing can change the picture in your heart. Don't worry, it will come to pass. That which you have in your heart, it will come to pass. It will, it will happen. I tell you the truth. That is how God navigates us into destiny. Hebrews 11, read from verse 24. Very powerful stuff. Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years. Hmm, this is very powerful. Though. You know, a lot of people, years come to them. But Moses came to years. Because spiritual maturity is instigated by the one to grow. The one growing is the one that instigates spiritual maturity. Moses, he was 40, but some people can come to years by 20. You don't have to wait till you are 40 to come to years. If you wait for years to come to you, you may be 80 and you have still not come to years. So the Bible says, by faith, Moses came to years. <laughs> Hallelujah. He came to years. All right. And refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is the activation of the call of God upon his life was activated. That protocol was activated. By the time he was 40, he just started to sense that there is something about me. Beyond the palatial outfits that I'm wearing. And all the girls taking pictures when I stroll on the street. And everybody looking at me like one fine boy. Mm, there's more to me than that. Something about him was just teared up. That mm -mm, My life is beyond just living in this place. This is a burial ground. It's not a palace. It's a burial ground. The devil buries people in palaces. Where God has called you to enter into spaces and, and, and destroy the yoke of bondage that people are going through. You are in the palace enjoying. And I will tell you one of the things that blurs the hope is pleasure. Pleasure blurs the hope. The hope that is set in your heart. The devil will just plant you in a context of pleasure. You will just forget the reason why you were sent. You will forget it. So the Bible says, oh, Moses came to years. Kai, he just realized that enough is enough. Many people, it is affliction that will be making them pray. It was pleasure. There was no suffering in Pharaoh's palace, not one. But he said, I, he said, I reject it, I reject it. There is something worse than poverty. It is not fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. It's worse than poverty. Because some of us, it's only affliction that makes us pray. It was pleasure that made Moses to go and pray. Now, what is my life really about? Chicken in the morning, salad in the afternoon. I'm tired. <laughs> Gucci bag. Yeah, I'm tired. Lamborghini. I want to go to the market and take a Ferrari. What's gone? He was tired. Some of us cannot relate. <laughs> because all you're thinking about is Gary in the morning. Gary in the afternoon. I'm trekking to Balende. I'm tired. Moses said, I'm tired. This enjoyment is too much. So, <laughs> how come you can't relate like this? <laughs> but that's what happened to Moses. He was tired of it. That's what happened to him. He came to years. He said, I'm not your son again. What is it? Ah! Any small thing, everybody's doing it for me. I'm 40 years old for God's sake. My life will count for something. Not that he lived in plenty and died. No! There's more to your life than just opulence. There's far more. Look at Moses. By faith, 
when he was come to years, oh, shalataya, he came to years. He was not waiting for years to come to him. Some of us are just growing and years are just coming to us. Can you go to 50 years already? Can you mature? Can you go to years? Can, can you not wait for years to come? Can you go and meet it? And mature and just grow and let your Simon shed itself so that Peter can emerge. Can you just go to years? Thank God we didn't see that Moses, after he grew old, the Bible says he came to years. Hmm. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because don't think that this thing is his age or his age. No, his maturity in the spirit. When he arrived at that place of maturity, he lambanoed purpose. He said, no, it's enough. I refuse this title. I'm not going to be called Pharaoh's daughter anymore. Bible says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. The pleasure that is unbridled, that takes me away from purpose is sin. I will say that again. The pleasure that is unbridled, that keeps you away from purpose, is sin. It doesn't have to be adultery, it doesn't have to be partying, it doesn't have to be alcohol. Every single time you refuse to put pressure on yourself to achieve the, glo- the, the, the goal that God has placed on your life, you are sinning. The Bible calls it the pleasure of sin. We don't have an idea whether Moses did anything wrong. But he stayed in plenty, in pleasure for 40 years. He was no longer concerned about the call of God upon his life. And the Bible calls it sin. So if all your life, all you want to do is to live a soft life, you know, get a good job, marry, you know, have kids, travel the world, do vacations, and that's the only picture in your mind. And you are the only picture, you are the only person in the picture of your mind. That's an ambition, that's not vision. That's not the purpose of God for your life. God's purpose for your life cannot be to consume things on your lust. Lie, lie. That cannot be the purpose of God for your life. That he will just give you things so you can consume it on your lust. But that is the only picture that comes to our mind. If I tell you what you want to be in the next five years, that's the only picture you tell me. You want to have gotten this, you want to have become this startup founder and you and all of that. And you want to have gotten to a certain level of opulence and affluence and influence. And you just want all those things. There's more to life than that. The Bible says, Moses came to years. And he refused to be called the son of Bezos. You understand? He said, no. My son name is no longer Bezos. I refuse Zuckerberg. I, I refuse it. I reject Gates. I reject it. <laughs> Let's put this in context now. That's how you read scripture. He said, I'm no longer bearing your son name. My mother's name is Jokabed. She came from Amu Dauphin. That is where we came from. My son name is not Dangote. It's not Tedola. It is... <laughs> I've not mentioned any surname here. <laughs> Praise God. But that's exactly what Moses did. That's exactly what Moses did. He said, I, I refuse it. He said, He refused. I. Some of us are rejecting the reason why we we're planted in Nigeria. I said, Why didn't God just make the mistake of just throwing me to the United States and inside the corridors of Bill Gates' compound? Just, just throw me there. What kind of misfortune is this to be called a Nigerian? There is a purpose of God for your life. There is. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The Bible says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a moment. You know what that also tells us? It tells us that the pleasure of sin does not last. It does not last. Even if it is for 50 years, it's still for a moment. If it is for 80 years, it's still for a moment. The pleasure of sins never lasts. 
enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Bible says, look at what he does. He esteems the reproach of Christ. Great charities. He put the reproach of Christ beside all the pleasures of sin in Egypt. And he says the reproach of Christ. The reproach, not the glories. The reproach of Christ are greater riches. If the reproach of Christ is greater riches, how about the glory of Christ? <laughs> Can you imagine that? He didn't, he didn't put the glory of Christ beside the pleasures of sin. He put the reproach, the sufferings, the affliction, the endurance, the resistance, the necessities, the fastings, the temptations, the trials of our faith. He put it beside all the pleasures of Egypt. And he said the reproach is greater. If the reproach is greater... That means even the glory cannot, that's why the Bible says the, the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared. You can't even begin to compare them. So if the reproaches are already greater than the enjoyment of Egypt, how much more the glories of Christ? How much more? And our inheritance is the glories of Christ. That's our inheritance. If we will pass through the sufferings and the reproach, we would also be glorified with him. That's the assurance of scripture. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Can we look at this verse in NLT, NIV, and PPT? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Look at that in NIV. Let's check it in NIV. Quickly, quickly, please. If you dull me. Quickly, guys. This is NLT, right? For he was what? No, 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 no. The, the last phrase. For he was what? He was looking ahead. So he discounted the pleasures of now. It was a hope that made him make this decision. It was a hope. Bible says he esteemed the reward that would come. The recompense of the reward. He looked ahead. He saw it. And in case you missed it in verse... What verse is that? In case you missed it in verse 26, look at it verse 27 again. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but enduring as what? Seeing the invisible. He kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Wow. Wow. It was by faith Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes. The moment the picture becomes blurry, you will compromise. You will sleep with Potiphar's wife. You will. That hope must be alive. It must be burning. That hope must be burning. He kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. How do you see the invisible? How? You already said it is invisible. How do you then see the invisible? It's in the place of prayer. It's in the place of prayer. I'm going to be praying for about five, ten minutes after this service. And boy, you will pray until you lose your voice. Or you will pray. That's what killed the rich fool. He lost hope. He said, I will build bands. He built the bands. I will feel it. He filled it. He now wanted to put his leg on a sofa and start enjoying it. There was nothing he was living for anymore. God killed him already. Because you're not living for anything. In the future that you see, you're only a consumer. You're not giving. You're not adding value. You're not providing anything. You're not solving problems. There's no point to you anymore. You're no longer an addition to the earth's economy. So let's just take you out already. Hope is the reason and the justification for keeping you alive. As we begin to round off, three, three things. Three things. All right? Two, three things. <laughs> That's six things, right? There are three hope extinguishers. Three hope extinguishers. 
Listen, if you will keep this hope alive, it does not matter what side of the economy, what side of the pyramid, what side of the world you started from, you can end up at the other end. If you will keep the picture of the hope that God has planted in your heart alive, if you will keep it alive, you will become everything that God has said concerning you. You will. Three hope extinguishers. And you have got to be very careful about these three things. Number one, low self-talk. Your self-talk is creating the boundaries of your expression. That is the image you see in your heart. Every time they tell you, come and do something, it is that self-talk that comes out as a picture and tells you you can't do it. You know you, you, know you can't do it. Don't go and embarrass your family. You can't do this thing. Stop trying to be like what you are not. You can't. It is your self-talk that comes and rises up in that moment of demand. It's your self-talk. It's your self-talk. Gideon, self-talk. Moses at some point, self-talk. What they've been telling them, I cannot talk. You know, I cannot talk. I'm just a little child. You know, I'm just a little, I'm just a little shy. I can't even talk to save my life. You know, there's nothing about me. There's nothing special about me. Hey, don't talk like that. You can't carry God and say you're not special. So stop it. Stop it. You are discounting both you and God in that statement. There's nothing special about me. That means there's nothing special about the person you also carry. Come on. Don't ever say that. Don't discount the value and dilute the grace of God upon your life. Don't have a low self-talk. And it's not prideful for you to say the things God has spoken concerning you. It's not prideful. It's actually loving the Father. It's a love relationship. So everything he tells you, you receive it, you accept it, you lambano it, you rejoice in it. Because that is what he has said concerning you. You are blessed. That's what he has said. You are the head and not the tail. That's what he has said. He has made you prosperous. That's what he has said. You rejoice in those things. You don't put yourself down in the name of humility. That's not humility. That's not humility. How can God die to broker some things for you? And you say, no, embracing the opposite of what he did for you is humility. Abba. No. Low self-talk, you banish it in your family, in your life, in your, in your own words, in your mouth. Because you believe the things you say faster than the things that somebody else tells you. Until you meditate on what somebody else tells you and own it, it won't affect you. It won't yet affect you. So when somebody's talking, as I'm talking right now, until you meditate, which is why you need to listen to teachings again, until you meditate over and over and over again, and you turn it into meditative pictures, and you now start saying it to yourself, and you start saying it to yourself, that word will not yet have an impact in your life. But the things you are saying to yourself has already been working in your life. You are living in the picture of what you thought about yesterday. You're already living in it right now. And it was produced by your self-talk. Hope extinguishes. You know I'm small. You know I came from the least of my family. You know we are the least. We don't even know how to rise. The people just trample on us. There's nothing to us. You know we are Nigerians. Anywhere we go, people just have to disrespect us. And you just low self-talk. Low self-talk. It, it just blurs the hope. And it replaces it with despair and anxiety and fear and trepidation. Low self-talk. And that was what Job's wife began to push him into. Talk so evil of yourself that you see yourself as nothing. Such that you will be the most deserving of death. Curse God and die. Just end it all already. There's nothing to you. Just, what are you doing for me? There's nothing again. And that's the kind of woman that defines her husband by what he could provide. Because why didn't you curse God? And you die. Oh, he's no longer taking care of you. So he should cause God and die so that another man can take his place. You are the one that is the wife of the person who can no longer provide for your needs. So how about you cause God and die? Why advise me to curse God and die? Food for thought.
You curse God. My husband is going through. So, ah, in fact, let me just empathize with you. I curse God now and I pushed him to the brink of despair. Low self-talk. You know what Job started saying? I cursed the day that I was born. I cursed the day my father met my mother. Oh, I cursed the day. I cursed the day. Low self-talk. It pushes you to the brink of despair, depression, until you will soon commit suicide. Thank God for Elihu. Thank God for God. Thank God. Job would have committed suicide. It was his inevitable end if God had not intercepted. He would have died. You can't be hearing that from your wife every day. Ah! Every day, you wake up. Oh God, better cause God and die. I've mixed sniper inside a cup. <laughs> Phew. Just there. Just, just think it's better for all of us. Every day, every day. His wife, not a friend, his wife. Low self-talk will push you to the brink of despair. The things you say to yourself when nobody's talking to you, those are the things that are governing the boundaries of your expression. When nobody's talking to you, the things you think of at night, how you think of yourself in the next five years, what are the things you see? What are the things you see? What do you see? What do you really see? What do you see? I was asking a group of ladies yesterday, what's your getaway thought? What are the things you think about when you are free and you can create anything in your imagination? What comes to mind? That thing is what is pulling you in that direction. That thing. If what you think about is, what is life? <laughs> You're a philosopher. <laughs> is it, what is life to live for? Life is just like breeze. <laughs> Today is here, tomorrow is gone. And uh, you just whistle out like that as well, like a breeze. Low self-talk, avoid it. All right? I'm not saying gas up yourself in mundane vanities. You post yourself on social media and say, gas me up. And you put all kinds of pictures of nudity. They will gas you up now. But you will be just as deflated. So you gas up in the word. Whatever God's word tells you, you believe it like your life depends on it. And you lambano it by revelation. You can't be facing and beholding the face of Jesus and go out like a wimp. Lie, lie. You go out like a wimp. You go out like a defeated foe. That's the devil's role. He's the one that is defeated until he realizes you don't know. Then he becomes bold. He's, he's defeated. Does this guy know his identity in Christ? Does he really know who he is? Uh, he does not know. Uh -huh. Then he comes to you with boldness. Oh, hell, bold face. But the moment he sees that you know who you are, he cannot raise his head. He can't. He will just be trying. Does he really know? Does he know? Does he know? And every time he pokes you, you respond with the word. Only three responses. The guy left. He can't deal with more than three. He can't. Low self-talk, avoid it. Number two, quitting. Hi, I need to say this. Stop quitting. Stop it. Quitting is a transferable dysfunction. I'll say that again. Quitting is a transferable dysfunction. Whatever you start, finish it. Don't put your hand on the plow and continue to look back and say, oh, what if I, what? No, finish what you started. Don't start school and drop out. Finish it. You don't have to use it afterwards. Just finish it. Once you are able to finish it, it gives you the next thing, which I'm going to talk about when I talk about hope merchants. There are three hope merchants as well. So three hope extinguishers. Number one, low self-talk. Number two, quitting. Finish what you've started. A lot of people in their lives, several heaps of unfinished projects. Heaps. Heaps like this. Heaps. Books that I wanted to write, you stopped at lesson two, chapter two. 
The girl you wanted to ask out, you did not ask her out. You did no closure, nothing. You, you just hoped for life. Until she got married, you attended the wedding, you were, you were groomsmen to the husband, you were still hoping. You did not open your mouth. You did not open your mouth. You don't, you don't finish what you start. You, just, you, you started with the hope of becoming her husband. Then you hook at friend zone. You couldn't move past friend zone. You couldn't move beyond friend zone. You just hook there. <laughs> I didn't hear that. You just hook. Finish what you started. It isn't a yes or a no. Tell a brother beside you, ask her out. <laughs> Amen. Ask out. Is it a yes? Oh, a no. It's a polar question. Will you or will you not? There is no middle ground. Ask out already. And stop dilly-dallying. Finish what you start. You plan the ask her for two years. Kilo day, is it a project? You, you want to ask her for two years? She's broken up twice in that period. But you, you are still planning your first ask her. Abba. Amen. Stop quitting on things. Stop quitting on things. Whatever you start, finish it. You know what it does? It gives you momentum. It's part of the next hope merchant. Momentum is one of the hope merchants. Whoosh! See, Arsenal is going through a spell right now. <laughs> no momentum again. It's deflated. Emeka, I apologize. <laughs> Tell you I have to give you nutrition. <laughs> to boost. <laughs> Praise God. Momentum is so powerful, but I don't want to get out of my, ahead of myself. Quitting, stop it by all means. Even if you will spend to finish, spend whatever you need to spend. Finish what you start. God has never left anything abandoned. Never. Whatever, you see, he's alpha and omega for a reason, because he never stays in the middle and stop. Lie, lie. He's alpha until he finishes, he doesn't stop. He's alpha and omega. And that should characterize your tendencies too. Whatever you start, you finish it. You finish it. You start a book, finish it. You start a movie, finish it. Not watching. <laughs> if the movie does not make sense, you can stop. Because there's no edify. But a project, I mean like you want to do a movie. That's what I'm saying. Finish it. Whatever it is in your context, don't quit. Because every time you quit, you are creating a trail of abandoned projects. So whenever you think of yourself to start something new, all the evidences of abandonment in your past will tell you you can't finish it. So you will not even start. Yeah, you won't see yourself finishing. You won't see it. You won't see it. Because you quitted too much in your history. You just were quitting up and down. Any small thing you quit, you just give up. Ah, and it's, ah, you quit. Can you research and you become the statue of the thing that the person that can finish it? You may not be able to finish it at the start, but research and be so dogged that this thing, I don't stop things halfway. Mm -mm. If it has entered my hand, I will finish it. And then you grow into the statue of the person that can finish it. And now you have become more. You've gained capacity. Stop quitting. Stop it. You're not a quitter. You finish things. And you finish things strong. Don't quit stuff. You're a strong man. You're a strong woman. Whatever you start, you finish. You finish. Number three, seed consumption. God will give you seed. He will give you bread. If you eat your seed, you have eaten your future. There is no hope left. He gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Stop eating up your seed. All right, you will see the equivalent of that in the hope merchants as well. Stop eating up your seed. Sow seeds. Every day you eat bread, make sure you have two seeds in the ground. 
Sow twice as much as you eat. Don't eat twice as much as you sow. Because you won't be able to catch up with the rate of consumption. But sow twice as much as you are eating. As you are eating the bread that one of the seeds produced, sow two more. Then sow two more. Then sow two more. Don't eat twice as much as you are sowing. Sow twice as much as you are eating. Don't eat up your seed. Every opportunity you have to give a word, give it. Every opportunity you have to mentor someone, mentor. Every opportunity you have to give money, give it. Every opportunity you have to give and sow seed, give it in the morning, sow. In the afternoon, sow. You don't know the one that will bring forth fruits. You don't know. Just continue to sow. Stop eating your seeds. The future you do not have is as a result of the seeds you did not sow. Sow those seeds today and sow them in hope. Sow them in hope because your seed give you hope. I have planted. The harvest is coming. I see the harvest already. I was says, let him that plows, let him plow in hope. Because you are plowing, that's why you can hope. If you don't plow, there's nothing to hope for. You're just a scheme, or you're just a schemer, you're, you're a scam, you're, you're, you're a scorn artist, or a corn artist. You're just trying to scam people, collect what you did not sow, and God hates it. He hates such things. You're scheming, scheming, you didn't sow somewhere, you didn't work, you want to be eating, you didn't sow seeds, you want to be collecting, you are entitled. Don't be a seed consumer. Father, we give you praise. Three hope merchants as we begin to close. Number one is prayer. If that's all you heard today, you have heard well. The number one hope merchant is prayer. As long as you can pray, that hope will continue to get crisper and crisper and crisper. As long as you can pray, Jeremiah 33 verse 3, one of the very foundational verses of scripture we learned as children. Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things. That you do not know. But how do you call unto the Lord? It's in the place of prayer. Call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you. That is what he does. That's what you do in the place of prayer. He shows you things. He just shows you things. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. It has not entered into the heart of man. As you are praying, he's showing it to you. And the picture is getting clearer and clearer. It's getting clearer and clearer. Hallelujah. Prayer. Glory to God. You pray into this revelation. It becomes crisper. I can't tell you how many times I've seen myself preach. I cannot even begin to tell you. How many times? Lay down some people, got them healed. I cannot begin to tell you. That's the picture of the future that I envisioned since way back at secondary school. And I'm still living in it till today. Pictures will come to pass if they are founded in the presence of God. If they are founded in the presence of God and you anchor them to your soul, you will eventually act out that reality. It was only a dream at some point. It became Joseph's reality. He lived in that picture. He lived inside it. You will, you will too. You will too. And don't let life circumstances, don't let it bury you alive. No, no. I shared a story of Habib several times, you know, how he grew up in the most unfortunate situations. And he just grew out of it because there was a hope he kept seeing in front of him. If you allow the environment to drown you, you will be really drowned. Though. And it's not only you that will drown. You will drown everybody that was waiting on you, that was hoping on you for salvation. You will drown everybody along with you. Esther entered pleasure and she forgot the purpose. Until Mordecai came and said, oh God, that is not why you came here. It's not to eat. You need to be fasting in the palace. You need fasting. It's not just to be eating. You need to be fasting. We'll get there. The first thing is prayer. You pray, you enter into the place of prayer, you receive revelation, and it captures your heart. And then you begin to trust God for its navigation. Number two, momentum. Momentum. Finish things. Part of what I was talking about, not quitting. Finish things. Once you finish things, no matter how little, it gives you momentum. It gives you momentum. It just continues to give you momentum. 
and don't break that momentum. Let it continue to just build it. You know, you write an article, you write it, you finish it. Before you know it, you start writing books. That's how, that's how it works. Before you know it, you start writing commentaries. That's how it works. It's momentum. It gives you momentum. But you can't want to start at commentary level. You can't start at that level. You start with articles. You start with short poems. You start. You finish. It gives you momentum. It gives you a hope that you can finish that one too. The next one, you can finish it. Because you have a track record of finishing things. So that's what it gives you. It gives you momentum. And the last thing is sacrifice and service. Which is you not consuming your seed, but sowing your seeds. All right? Sacrifice and service. If you're in this church and you're not serving, you are not doing well, you need to enter into service and start sowing your seeds. Seed of time, seed of energy, seed of resources. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. But God can do all the shaking together, running over on nothing, and it will still be nothing. It is not God's promise that failed. It was you that did not put seed into the process. Any seed you put into that process will come pressed down, shaking together, running over. Man will give to your bosom. But when there's no seed for God to multiply, he's not the one that is failing. You are the one that is not putting the seed to work. Sacrifice and service. Let me read you a scripture that is so powerful. Psalms chapter 126. Psalms 126. Father, we give you praise. Psalms 126. Bible says from verse 5, it says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come back again with rejoicing and bringing his sheaves with him. When you sow seeds, you have a legitimate expectation of reward because there is a hope in front of you. But when you don't sow seed, even you cannot conveniently demand because you are now waiting for hand downs because you didn't sow any seeds. You're not entitled for a reward. You can only receive hand downs, what people want to give you by compassion and mercy. But there is a way you can sow seed, and even Paul can tell Jesus and say, you know, you can't deny me a crown, you know. Paul, he looked at heaven and said, a crown is waiting for me. I'm not soliciting for it, I sowed the seed. My life is poured out like a drink. He got to a certain level of conviction that this God cannot withhold this crown. He's too sure. So the picture was so clear because he was sowing the seed. Every day he was writing epistles. Every day he was traveling. Every day he knew he was sowing seeds into the ground. When you're not sowing seeds, you have nothing to expect. He that sow in tears will reap in joy. They that carry their sheaves weeping shall doubtlessly come back again rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. These are the three hope merchants. Prayer, momentum, all right, and sowing your seeds in sacrifices and service. Any opportunity you have to give, give it. Any opportunity you have to host somebody in your house, host that person, sow that seed, give that offering, give that tithe, give that money, all right? Give, give, just continue to give. Spread yourself out, hallelujah. To that extent is how you will receive. Father, we give you praise. Let's stand up right now. We're going to be praying for like three minutes, for time's sake. Or you will be praying like your life depends on it. There are pictures you need to catch. As I was talking today, some people, they looked at their history and there was no picture that came to their mind. It shows you've not been praying enough. That's what it shows, because you can't call unto him and he would answer you and he will not show you. Uh -uh. If you called unto him and he answered you, how he shows that he has answered you is by showing you things, great and mighty things that you do not know. And he will just show the pictures. He will show you in flashes. He will just show you. And those things will now anchor your soul. Can you begin to pray right now for the next three minutes? And just pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Ask God to show you. Ask God to reveal to you. That which he has made your life about. That which he has made your life about. That which he has made your life to be about. Ask him to show you.
Ask him to show you. Ask him to show you. Ask him to show you. Ask him to show you. Don't turn your bread into, don't turn your seat into bread. When all you do is have pleasure, have pleasure. It's a sign that your hope is getting blurrier. In the time of plenty, what it tells you is that it's a time of sowing. Not a time of eating. It's a time of sowing. You continue to sow. 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 When you get into the place of prayer tonight, you pray until you see an image. You pray until you see a picture. A picture of a hope that is sure and steadfast, that enters into that that is within the veil. If you don't catch that picture, you will fall by the wayside. You need to catch that picture. You need to catch that picture. You need to catch that picture. You need to catch it. 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 You need to catch that picture. Someone pray tonight. Pray, pray, pray. Glory to God. Pray. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Catch a picture. Catch a revelation. In Jesus' name we are praying. In the time of plenty, what it tells you is that it's a time of plenty seeds, not plenty bread. Every single time you enter into plenty, ask God, which seeds can I sow? Whenever we enter into plenty, many of us are just saying, which bread should I eat? No. The question is, which seed should I sow? When you enter into the palace of a great man, the Bible says, put a knife to your throat. Don't go there looking for what to collect. Put a knife to your throat. Have some bridled self-control. Be bridled. You have some money in your account, and the first thing you want to do is to consume it on your lust. It's a sign that you are eating the hope of the future. You are eating it up already. Sow seeds. Give, spread, scatter. There is he that scattereth, Bible says, yet increaseth. But there is he that withholdeth than his meat. Bible says he tends to penury, he tends to poverty. When you arrive at plenty, you arrive at the destination called plenty. Look for how to sow plenty seeds. Would you imagine that the seeds that Joseph gathered in the seven years of abundance sustained not only Egypt, but the rest of the world? In the time of plenty, he, he was not looking for how to consume it. He was storing, he was storing, sowing those seeds. And that thing didn't just sustain himself alone or his family or Israel or Egypt alone. The rest of the world came to Egypt for grain because he sowed the seeds. He didn't eat it. So how do you respond in abundance? How? It's a sign of whether you, are, you have a hope in the future or not. Do you store your bands and then put, cross your leg and say, now I would rejoice? No! Scatter. 
That's one of the most powerful ways to keep that hope alive. You sow that seed. Then you can come back as a plowman that has hope. Because you sowed in hope. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We thank you for today. We ask that you establish the truth in our heart. In Jesus' precious name, we are prayed. The title of my teaching this morning is Anchor Pictures. Anchor Pictures. Father, we give you praise. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.